you know that um, how jam-packed it was. We seldom have a service with so many things going on. If you're going into the second service, uh, you have an exciting time ahead of you. You know, it's, uh, it's sad, and yet there's tremendous excitement and joy also. Scripture says that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99. And um, we're going to experience that joy this morning. Is there anyone who needs a handout, if you will? Okay. There's a couple over there, Russ. One, maybe. Anyone else? Okay. Everybody needs one. Russ, while you're up, why don't you pray for us as we get started? Father, we do thank you for the time we uh, learn of you, we hear from your word, we be reminded of your goodness, your mercy, your grace. Pray that you bless Joe and our time together, that uh, you encourage Okay, come on in, and we've got a few people coming in that may need a handout. We're in our second week uh, of the second section, part two of First Samuel, and we're going to be in uh, starting out in chapter eight this morning. If there was one thing that characterized this portion of this time in history, it was a tremendous um, leadership crisis in the nation of Israel. For 200 years, they had been under regional, um, uh, what's the word I want for, regional rulers, okay, for 200 years. It had been very volatile. There were times of, of, um, of blessing, times of encouragement, times of repentance, followed by rebellion and disobedience, just cycle after cycle after cycle in the nation of Israel. Okay? Samuel said that it was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that pretty well characterizes what was going on during that time. But when we come to, to 1 Samuel chapter 8, which is where we're at today, we're going to see that God is going to intercede. God has been preparing a man. We've studied about him the last time we were in 1 Samuel. And we're going to look at him a little bit yet last week, and we're going to go more forward this week. God was preparing the man Samuel as a prophet, okay, as a prophet and a judge over the nation. But we're going to see that, that in this crisis time that Israel was not in tune with what the Lord wanted. But they were demanding a rule. They were demanding their own king. If you look with me at 1 Samuel 8, 
verse 1, it says, And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his son's judge over Israel. And the first name of the firstborn was Joel, and the second name of the second was Abijah. They were judging in Bathsheba. It says, His sons did not, sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside to dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. And when all the Israel, um, and when all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, they said to him, Behold, we, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge, uh, to judge us like the nation. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel, and sight uh, when when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king with them. So there was a need for a change in Israel, in the leadership in Israel. Eli, you remember, had and the, and the priesthood had fallen into disarray and he had been removed. God had prepared a man, what I like to refer to as a mighty oak, in the life of Samuel. Samuel was a godly man. He was a man who followed the Lord. And so he came in in, in leadership over the people. But unfortunately, the time came when the people rebelled and, and wanted to throw off his leadership. They wanted a king like all of the other nations. Okay. First off, Samuel was getting older. And they thought, well, you know, we're going to have to have somebody younger to take place. And unfortunately, Samuel's sons, who he had brought along, had proven themselves to not to be faithful. So the, the nation saw the son's possibility of coming into power, and they rebelled against that too. So they're saying, Samuel, you're getting older. Your sons do not walk with the Lord. Okay, therefore, we want a king like all of the other nations. They looked around them and they decided that they needed a king that possibly they could control, they could intercede for them, they could lead them, they could give them the victories. So they rejected the leadership that God had put in place and what we read just a moment ago, in rejecting them, they actually rejected God because it was God who was, was leading through them. So we see there was a reason for a change, there was a need for a change, and the people were not willing to wait on God to institute the change. They wanted to do what they wanted to do in their own timing, and we're going to see that uh, a little bit later. So, but from, you know, from all eternity, God had planned for the nation of Israel to have a king. It was not that he did not want them to have a king. They were just going about it at the wrong, in the wrong way at the wrong time. First off, the people said they wanted a king like the other nations, but the people of God could never be, should never be like the other nations. That was their first mistake. Okay? 
First Peter tells us that the, the, the nation of Israel and then today is, is his elect. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, how can a people like that be ruled by an ungodly, self-serving king? They couldn't. God's plan was that one day Israel would have a king, um, and desiring a king was not wrong in itself. The fault was in their motivation, their timing, and their placing their faith in the monarchy rather than God. We can, from our vantage point, we could see that God had established Samuel to give the nation stability and to lead them in this time. And that down the road, he had the man after his own heart. He had King David waiting in the wings, so to speak, to, to rule his people in his behalf. But Israel wasn't willing to wait. They wanted their man. They wanted their man now. Aren't you glad we are not like that anymore? We patiently wait for God to give us what he wants, right? We, I'm getting some frowns. Um, that's good, I should, you know. We want what we want when we want it, and that's now or yesterday if possible. That God had a plan established his people, but they were not willing to wait. And we're going to see as we go through this week and next week, they paid a big price because of that. Just for a second, look at Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, verse 15. He says, um, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, you will say, I will set a king over me like the nations who are around me. That sounds like what we've just read in Samuel, isn't it? You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Okay, One from among your countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves, you may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. And he goes on and he, he tells them several things that that king must not do. He must not multiply horses. He must not multiply wives. He's not to increase his wealth excessively. Okay, He gives these things that he will expect of this king and that they should expect of the king. But he comes down in verse 18 and he gets down to the real um, priority of God for this king. He says, Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, by carefully observing his words. That was the real priority of God for a king that he would put over his nation. Okay? He was to write a copy of the law and he was to read it 
every day. Every day the fo- his focus was to be on God through his word. Okay? He was, he was to learn in doing that, he was to learn the, to, to fear the Lord, his God, through obedience to what God wanted. Okay? So God was willing for them to have a king, but it must be a king of his choosing, and he was to be a king who made the law, the, the, the scripture, God's uh, promises, his priority. He was to read them, he was to walk in obedience to what God wanted him to be. Isaiah 66 2 says, This is the one, to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Okay? Now we're going to see as we get into the life of David that while David was far from perfect, he was a man who trembled at God's word. He was a man who took God seriously. But still, we're back to the point where Israel says, no, but we want a king. We want a king to reign over us. So God tells... um, Found my place. No wonder I'm in the wrong chapter. Doesn't work very well, does it? But he said, God told Samuel, he says, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel comes to them. God tells Samuel to warn the people what they're really going to be up against. Okay? Um, Chapter 8, verse 10 says, Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him for a king, asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. And he proceeds to say, he will take first off your sons, he will take your daughters, he will take the best of your fields, he will take a tenth of your seed, he will take your male servants, he will take a tenth of your flocks. Six times, warning them about this king, he says, he's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take. Now, I think God wanted them to understand what they were asking for. And God will warn us if we'll give him a chance. But the people were so bullheaded about it, excuse the expression, that all they could see was what they wanted, what they saw as their relief, their immediate relief. Okay? He will take from you. He will take from you. So God's warning the people, if you go through with this, this is what your life is going to be like. But 8.19 says that the people refused to listen. And 8.22 says, God said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. Okay. So, in chapter 9, verse 1, we see that, that God makes a choice. It says there was a man of Benjamin tribe of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zerah, the son of Bacarath, I can't, I guess, the son of Aphnia. Y'all come up and pronounce these for me if you know better. The son of a Benjaminite, a mighty man. And he had a, had a uh, son whose name was Saul. 
a choice handsome man, and there was not a more handsome man than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. So God knows who he will establish. It's not God's perfect will that the nation of Israel have a king at this point, but they demand it, and God is going to give it to one. He's going to choose them. It's going to be a man of his choosing. But he's going to give them what they want. If you've been a member of a Baptist church, and most of us have somewhere in our past, you've sung many choruses of uh, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, right? Well, I think God, sometime if we push him, he has his own course that Have Thine Own Way, World, you know? And if we push and we push and we insist, God will give us what we want. When the nation of Israel was, was in, um, in bondage in Egypt, and they were not satisfied, you remember, with the, with the uh, manna that God provided, they rebelled and they demanded quail, okay, or bird, whatever it was. And they demanded, and it said the Lord gave them what they wanted. But what did it say? He sent leanness to their soul. They had a tremendous price that they had to pay for it. So we see that God is going to say, God is going to give them what they want. He chooses, he chooses Saul, the son of Kish. And there in, in verse um, 3, and I wish we had the time to really read all these together. This is why I ask you to read it ahead of time. But we see the most phenomenal list of providences, occurrences of providences that we see in the Scripture. God working through normal means. Okay? God is going to bring together his chosen man with Samuel, his prophet. Okay? And he does this through lost donkeys. You remember the story? Kish, the son of the father of Saul's donkeys were lost. They get they wandered off. So Kish sent Saul to go get his donkeys, go find his donkeys. Now, um, this no doubt was probably just any day to Saul. It was a day he got up around the farm. He didn't realize what the priority of what he was facing. He just knew he had some lost animals he needed to go find. So he sets out on his, on his journey to find these. And God, of course, is in the, uh, in the back, uh, is backstage kind of orchestrating this and getting them to the right place. And so in, in chapter 9, verse 16, he tells, um, he speaks to Samuel. Now, the, the Saul, Saul and his servant are out looking for the donkeys. They've looked all over. It's been several days have passed. They can't find them. And so in verse 15 he says, Now the day before Saul was coming, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. And about this time tomorrow, speaking to Samuel, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. For he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have regarded my people 
because they, their cry has come to me. So God has spoken to Samuel and he's told him, about tomorrow, about this time, I'm going to send you a man that I have chosen to be king over Israel. So here comes Saul. He has no idea what's going on other than the fact that he's looking for donkeys. He can't find them, so he goes. His servant says, well, there's a man of God in the city by the name of Samuel. You need to go talk to him, and he's a prophet, and maybe he can tell us where the donkeys are. So he goes in search of Samuel. But when he finds Samuel, he finds his donkeys, but he finds out a whole lot more. God is using that to get his people to the point where he wants them to be. So when he confronts Saul, in chapter 10, verse 1 says, Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his Saul's head, and kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be a ruler over his inheritance? So God gets Samuel and Saul together. Saul says, Samuel says, Spend the night. Rest yourself in the morning. I'll send you off. When the morning time comes, he takes a flask of oil, pours it over Saul's head, and says, God has anointed you as king over Israel. Can you imagine what a shock that was? Can you imagine his dismay? He goes from shepherding donkeys, keeping donkeys, to being a king of Israel. What a made spend a day. Huh? He says, the Lord has appointed you as a ruler over his inheritance. His people Israel. If you read through the book of 1 Samuel, you can get, it can be really confusing when you see how many times um, Saul was anointed and was appointed and it goes back and forth. But this is the initial time when Samuel has spoken to Saul on, on God's behalf. And if you look in verse chapter 9:27 and then 10:1, we see that Samuel was with Samuel, excuse me, Saul and his servant were together. And Samuel says in the last part of verse 27, "Say to your servant uh, that he may go ahead." of us and pass on. But you remain standing now that I may proclaim the word of God to you. So Samuel sends the servant off. So it's just Saul and Samuel there when Samuel breaks the news to him. He anoints his head with oil and says, Has not the Lord appointed you as ruler over his inheritance? Can you imagine the shock for Saul for getting that type of news? Can you imagine the dismay? Okay. But again, we see God providentially working through these circumstances because God shows him step by step the fact he, he, he confirms his calling on, on Saul. Samuel has... Three things that he tells him in chapter 10, starting with verse 2. Um, he says, When you go from me today, you will find 
two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you have looked for have been found. So we're going to see three times that God providentially works in circumstances and ways to, to validate the fact that he is dealing with, with Saul. The first is the fact that when Saul leaves, he's going to come to Rachel's tomb and there will be donkeys and the men will be there. Two men specifically will be there and they will volunteer the information that the donkeys have been found. Now, how would those people know that Saul was even looking for donkeys if God had not told them? So you see, God is validating it. Verse 3, then you will go further from there and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor and there are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. That's pretty, pretty definite, isn't it? Three men, three goats, three loaves of bread, a jug of wine. Every one of those details had to be worked out. And he would give, offer to Saul, one loaf of bread. Again, God working in circumstances in our lives to show himself strong. And then finally in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 5, he says, Afterwards you will um, come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is and you will, um, and it will be as soon as you come into the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. So here again, a third time that each detail was worked out by God in such a way that it was a testimony to Saul and assurance uh, to Saul that God was speaking with him and that um, God was in control of the things. So then it says in uh, chapter 10, verse 6, after this happened, when he met the prophets, he says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. And then in verse 9, it says, And it happened when he turned his back to leave Saul, that God changed his heart, and all these signs came about on that day. God calling his man, confirming to him that he was God's chosen one. Now when it talks about the fact that um, that he will be changed into another man and that he will be given a new heart, this is not what we would think about today as salvation. This was simply God doing a work in his heart giving him different attitudes, different outlooks, equipping him for a task. It was not New Testament salvation as we would talk about a new heart, but it was taking this man from the field, so to speak, and doing a work in his life to prepare him to be all that God wanted him to be. Uh, just a little side note, it was kind of funny this morning in the elders meeting, um, we kept waiting for Dan, we were sitting, the elders were sitting out in the room, and 
kept waiting for Dan to come over. He said, officer, he didn't come over. He said, um, he finally did. He says, we've got a technical failure. And he said, I can't find my sermon anywhere on my computer. Okay? He could not locate his, his sermon. He didn't know where it was. Myself, donkeys. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, let's go search for the donkeys. <laughs> so I told him what we were going to be studying this morning. He just laughed. He, he didn't think it was too funny. But, <laughs> but obviously, he found his sermon somewhere. Okay. So here again, we see, you know, if we boil this down, we're looking at a God having a plan for his people. God working his plan for his people. Even when they are in rebellion against him, God is working for their good. God's plan is being worked out. Right? We see God using a man who had no credentials to be king, but he's going to change him into being the man that he wants him to be. We see God working in circumstances. You know, so often in our own lives, we see something in our life, a circumstance, and to us, it, it's just that. And very often it is. But we never know. We never know when God is going to use something totally insignificant in our lives to give us a sense of direction, you know, or to accomplish something that He wants to do in our lives. So we need to be cautious that, we, um, that we're sensitive to that. Um, and that um, that we don't waste those opportunities that God gives us, even if we can't see any eternal significance in them. So God chooses Saul as his king. Okay, He anoints him, but at this point, this is not known outside of God and Samuel and Saul. So in chapter 10, we see verse 17, we see God, God's presentation of Samuel, excuse me, of Saul through Samuel. In 10, 17, it says, uh, Samuel called together all the people, called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. Samuel was calling them in so that he can make an announcement, okay, that he can present to them this king that they're so determined to but before he does that, he, he warns them. He gives them a reminder of God's faithfulness to them in the past. And we're going to see this two or three times before Saul is actually installed. We're going to see that Samuel keeps going back to the people and he reminds them of God's faithfulness. He reminds them that they rebelled and God forgave them. Over and over, he, gives, he calls them back calls him back. So in chapter 10, verse 18, he says, um, or 17, uh, thereafter Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power uh, of the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have today decided you have rejected your God who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said, No, 
but set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So once again, Samuel is reminding them of God's faithfulness. But then he says, okay, the next step is you're to present yourself by tribe and by clan before us, and we will narrow it down and we will decide who God, we will let you see who God has called. Samuel, of course, knew at that point. It's really interesting. I never considered this before, but one of the commentators that I was reading this week said that in going tribe by tribe, he was showing, God was showing to the people that he had not just arbitrarily taken someone to be the king, but that he had, he had considered every tribe. You know, every tribe, would uh, God considered each tribe, but he narrowed it down to the tribe of Benjamin. So present yourself by tribe and by clan, and the tribe of Benjamin was, t- was taken. And then the family of Kish was taken. But Saul could not be found because he was well. He was hiding by the baggage. You know, brave, stout-hearted guy that he is. Okay? And I, I don't know that I blame him because he had had a whole lot of changes in his life, you know, in a, in a very short period of time. So Saul was presented as the one whom God has chosen, chapter 10, verse 24, and the people responded with long live the king. Okay? Long live the king. This was what they wanted. This was what they wanted. They had their man, even though they knew nothing about him. Okay? It says in verse chap- chapter 10, verse 25, then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in a book and placed them before the Lord. The ordinance of the kingdom was not the law, it was the the operation, so to speak, of a king, of how a king should should operate, how he should rule, um, things that he would personally need to know. So he presented them before the Lord, he presented the ordinance of the Lord, and we see in chapter 10, verse 26 and 27, that Samuel sent everyone home, and in doing that, there was says that there were certain valiant men who God touched that went with Saul to be his guards, to be his his uh, his men, but that there was a band of worthless men who did not support Saul, and they went their own way. So here we see a division, which is always going to be there, I guess. Some that accepted him, some that that rejected him. So God has chosen his man. He made it known to that man. And now Samuel, on God's behalf, has made it known to the nation of Israel. But everybody's home. Okay? So we see that God uses a circumstance, allows a circumstance, in the life of the people to rally them to Saul's support. Okay? And we see this in chapter 11. And um, see that Nahash, the Amorite, came up and besieged uh, Jabesh-Gilead and all the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Now, stout-hearted, brave people that they were, before there was any battle at all, they said, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. So here's the enemy coming against Israel. They don't even fight. They don't even put up a fight. They just said, 
make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. So the covenant they wanted, the agreement they wanted, was that they would pluck out the right eye of every man in that place. Isn't that nice? Pluck out the right man. Okay? He couldn't use his bow and arrow, I guess. He couldn't hardly throw his... That was there. And so the people said, okay, and this I, I could never understand, but they said, okay, give us seven days. Israel says, give us seven days and let us try to get some help in here to us. Okay? If we don't get any help in seven days, we'll come out and you can do to us whatever you want to do. Can you imagine? If I was the enemy, I'd just have laughed in the face, you know. But he says, give me seven days. So they said, okay. And and so the word got to Saul. Okay. And verse uh, chapter seven, 6, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 6. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. And he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man, and he numbered them in Bezek, um, and the sons of Israel were 300,000 men. 300,000 men responded to the call and the threat that he had made. So we see that, that there was a, and because of that, um, in chapter 11, verse 13, tells us that the Lord accomplished, but Saul said, Not a man should be put to death this day, for the Lord had accomplished a great deliverance. Israel. The nation of Israel rallied. They were able to go into this town. They were able to, to, to defeat the enemy, to save the people. Great, great deliverance in Israel that day. And I think that possibly the reason, God's reasoning for that, as best I can understand, was that there, there needed to be that while the people had accepted Saul as the appointed king, there was a needed to be a rally around him. There needed to be a lifting up, so to speak, of, of Saul in the eyes of, his, of God's people so that they would, their hearts would be in it, okay? that they would support them. And Samuel said in 11, 14 15, says, let us renew the kingdom. And it, the people made Saul king before the Lord. Okay? And I'm about out of time. Let's see what we're going to have to cut up. After all of this, chapter 12, once again, Israel, uh, Samuel comes to Israel and he makes an appeal to them concerning their relationship with the Lord and the king. In verse chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you have said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. So as he comes back to the people, 
And he's going to try to call them again to remembrance, to remember what God has done for them. He first of all will ask them to confirm that he personally has walked before them in obedience and in trust to the Lord. He says, have I walked before you? He says, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken? And whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? And from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. So he's coming to the people and he's saying, Okay, you get your new king. It's about time for me to leave. Look back over my life. Look back over my public service, if you will. Is there any man who can say that I have wronged him? Is there any man who can say that I have done him any wrong? Can you imagine a politician doing that today? You know? He wanted to know if there was anything that the people had against him. And, um, and of course, he, the, the people responded, no, that, that he had not. He had not taken so he reminds them that he's listened to their voice. He's, he's, as it may be, confirmed his conscience before them. And then in his final attempt to turn them back, in chapter 12, verse 6, he says, Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the acts, righteous acts which the Lord did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went to Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, uh, and they they fought there. And it, he goes on to say that they cried out to the Lord, and said, We have sinned, and God forgave them. And he said, The Lord sent them others. He sent Zerubbabel, which is, is Gibeon, and he delivered him. And he recounts all the times that God has been faithful to his people, all the times they have fallen, all the times they have called out. And then at the very end, for the very last time, in chapter 12, verse 12, he says, the people say, no, but a king shall rule over us, even though, um, although the Lord, your God, was your king. Okay? Time after time, they're given an opportunity to change their heart. Testimony after testimony is raised up before them of what God has done for them. But they were so hard, they were so set that they wanted a king to reign over them. So here's something I want you to see. If you don't hear anything else this morning, you need to get this. This is so phenomenal. People have rejected him for the final time. In verse 12 and 14 and 15, chapter 12, he talks about Israel's call to obedience. In, in spite of all of that, chapter 
12, verse 14, he says, But if you will fear the Lord, even though you've rejected him, but if you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. You know, it still comes down to their obedience. If they're willing to follow God, then he will bless them. But look at this. Look at what it says. He says, if you will fear, if you will listen, not rebel, then what? Both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. It's the people's obedience that's going to make the decision of the direction of the king. See that? If the people obey, then God will honor that by moving the heart of their king to what he wants it to be. That is so phenomenal to me. If you and your king follow the Lord, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wants it to be. You know, what does that tell us today? You know, what does that tell us today about our rulers, our government people? What does it say about God giving government over to the ungodly? Because his people are so ungodly. Okay, then he also speaks in chapter 12 about their relationship to God was to be one of godly fear and reverence. They've made this decision. They've rejected God's king. But he says, this is what your relationship would look like. First off, he goes and he talks about um, the judgment of God on, on their rebellious heart. Chapter 12, verse 17 says, Is it not the wheat harvest today? He says, and he gives this as an illustration. He says, I will call the Lord and he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourself a king. So Samuel called, the, called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the, the Lord and Samuel. So God in his goodness sent that judgment, that storm, to elicit fear in the eyes of his people, in the hearts of his people. And it says that all the people, uh, in 19, then all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants, to the Lord your God, so that you may not die. Um, and so they repented, and they turned back um, in, in their heart. Okay, People greatly feared and repented, and asked that, that Samuel pray for for them, pray to the Lord on their behalf. But of course, it was short-lived. Their repentance was short-lived. But their relationship to the Lord was going to be an ongoing, if they rebelled, then God would bring chastisement, God would bring judgment into their lives in order to, to bring about repentance and turn their hearts back to Him. But the greatest thing we see in the relationship is God's grace on their obedience was assured in chapter 10, verse, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 20, he says, um, 
Sam said to the people, Do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. What grace! Even in spite, in face of all of their rebellion, he says, listen, he says, you've done this, it's wrong, but don't turn aside from following him. You know, when we do something that's wrong, we need to confess it, we need to forsake it, we need to repent, but we don't need to lose hope because God will bless us. He says, do not fear, do not turn aside, but serve the Lord. It's a God of grace. Their relationship was to be a God of grace. Their relationship was to be one of responsibility on Israel's part because he said, do not fear, do not turn aside, but serve the Lord. Israel had a responsibility to fulfill in their relationship to the Lord. And then good old Samuel, always there for, for his people, for God's people. In verse 23, he said, Moreover, as for me, this is Samuel, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. You know, if I think if I was Samuel and if I had been Moses, I would have said, God, you have them. I mean, you know, they are yours. You created them. You know, neither one did. They stuck by it. They were God's man. Okay. Samuel said, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Samuel prayed for them. Samuel uh, taught them. Samuel instructed. He interceded for them. He was the mighty oak. He was a mighty oak. Next week, if you could read chapters 13, 14, and 15, that's what we're going to be working on. We've seen Saul made king, inaugurated. We've seen the response of the people. And next week, and this will be the final week on Saul, we'll see that Paul, Saul starts his rebellious, Saul starts his downward slope, so to speak, as a king by not honoring God and not taking responsibility that he should for his people. So we'll be in that next week. Let's have a word of prayer and then we will go to the next service. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us and for Lord, the fact that even when we sin, even when we rebel against you, that there is grace. If only we will repent, if only we will return and come back to you. You promise forgiveness. You promise restitution. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we commit ourselves to you, Lord, to walk in your spirit, to walk in obedience to what you would have us to do for your honor and glory most of all, but also for our ultimate good. We thank you for these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.